Welcome to On Culture. On this podcast, we talk about culture and faith and the world and our place in it. You can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also support our work and explore all of our content on our website, theembassy.substack.com. Here's Mike. And here we are back again for another episode of On Culture, uh, the podcast of The Embassy, a Substack newsletter, and uh, also uh, Embassy Equipping, uh, which is uh, the uh, orga- our organization to resource uh, churches and other other uh, organizations as well. Uh, but uh, we're going to be talking about the latest, uh, or I don't know if it's latest, but a recent uh, embassy newsletter on, uh, dealing with all the shootings uh, that we've had uh, here recently. And uh, this will be, as I said, a, it'll be behind a paywall. So for uh, some of you will be able to read the piece and some of you will just be able to enjoy the podcast uh, without the piece. Um, but uh, looking forward to talking about it with uh, Chad Myers, uh, my good friend who's back to join us in our rotating cast of podcast hello, hello. partners. Hello, hello. Uh, and one of the angles that I wanted to talk about in talking about uh, the shootings uh, has to do with something that's been mentioned in a few of these manifestos, these uh, whatever one calls them explanations, I guess, of uh, rationalizations, justifications of uh, some of these shooters that uh, typically they're all deceased and they have some sort of written something that they've left behind. And uh, in those, in many of them, there's this idea of this replacement theory, this great replacement that almost all of these shooters, the one, the largest one, most recently in Texas being an exception, are young very young white males and the part of what they're saying is they're being replaced that uh there's some depending on the coherence of you know the argument uh that there is a uh, a conspiracy to you know replace them that uh you know they need to stand up for um their people and this is one of the things they're doing uh, in order to uh, stand up for their people, I suppose. Uh, and so I guess let me just kind of start there and just like what if, what are your reactions to the shootings in general? And then just this, what have you heard about this idea called replacement theory? Uh, yeah, I mean, anytime there's a, you know, domestic terrorism is that what we put this in that category sure yeah something like that mm-hmm. it's 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 well i think it it the first thing it does is it um disturbs uh the the west and i say in north america's sense of security or safety it it challenges our notion of good and evil um you know i just don't think we, I think just because of where we are and how life is here, uh, we typically don't think about those things and <clears throat> we get really surprised maybe when something like these, the Buffalo shooting and the Texas shooting and, and, you know, these are obviously devastating and terrible. And, um, I don't think anyone, um, 
you know, would deny that, but I, I, I haven't dealt, I haven't delved in a lot to the, I guess the reasons you're saying of the psychology of here's why, I mean, it typically is some person who's become isolated, who's often very alone in their own world. And then I don't know, maybe getting fed some type of ideology that, you know, you, you guys are going to be, you know, replaced or done, done away with. Uh, so what's, what's interesting to me is that if that is the true belief of the shooter, how does, you know, opening fire in a public place, how does that help? Mm. What's the solution? If I'm going to be replaced, why, why would I just resort to violence? And what does that do? What is the, what is the, uh, do other people feel the same thing? Do other, you know, white males feel or fear this, or do other people, groups or tribes feel a sense of replacement? Is this recent? Like all sorts of questions come to mm-hmm. mind. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So you covered a lot of ground there. I do think there's, uh, <laughs> I think there's this sort of, I don't think it's recent. I think, uh, there is a sense in which all the uh, people who uh, have been, um, in a sense, you know, especially uh, against uh, any kind of immigration, uh, have had this idea for the longest time. Uh, and whatever one's views on the proper level of immigration are, there's certain uh, incentive incentivizing of uh no immigration for these people that we have to sort of protect the current uh, group of people we have. Uh, this is obviously taking that to a great extreme. And I think it's kind of talked about a little bit, partly because of, you know, frankly, these, uh, these manifestos. And I think, as you've said, I'm sure there are 4chan, you know, places online where some of these uh, horrible ideologies are, are discussed or, where some of these manifestos are posted, perhaps uh, this uh, the Buffalo Shooters manifesto. Uh, there's a lot of it that's cut and pasted from the New Zealand Shooters manifesto, um, and so I, I don't think I think there's something being named there. But as you said, I don't think that's mostly it because it's nonsensical that this is actually doing anything. Uh, and there's other things going on, uh, with that. I do think this, what is it supposed to be for? Uh, there's a number of questions I want to get to that you mentioned. And I, I think what is it supposed to be for is, you know, this whole idea of these young, disaffected, isolated white males that have been doing most, almost all of these sh- uh, shootings or many of these shootings. Uh, or the, the kind of shootings that have a manifesto sort of like this. Um, there is this sense of they appear not to have any purpose or any other purpose or meaning or positive movement in their lives. And they tend to be very isolated, very disconnected. Uh, in many cases, you know, Sandy Hook, I think the Buffalo shooter, I think the one in Texas as well, they, they kill a member of their family first and then go. Yeah. I, 
Yeah. What, what, what did he give a reason? The Texas shooter, didn't he shoot his grandmother in the face before he, but she, she survived, right? I don't, I don't know if she survived or not, but yeah, I, I don't think he gave a, I don't think he had a statement. Uh, and so it does appear to be just meaningless and purposelessness. Uh, and obviously, you know, he had issues with his family or, you know, they f- maybe feel rejected. Other people have written that they feel rejected. They feel something uh, unloved, disconnected, alienated. They're angry. They find some people online that are similar. They form some sort of uh, faux community, which isn't really a community. Uh, they're just reinforcing each other's, you know, worst impulses. Uh and that appears to be what's what's going on. And I do think there might be part of what's going, I think it's very complicated, but part of what might be going on is we have a, a large number of people and a very small, small number of those large number of people, but a very large number of those people who don't appear to have a lot of positive movement in their life or mm-hmm. any hope for becoming someone or, uh, you know, doing something good in the world 20 years from now or 10 years from now. Obviously, these shooters have given up all thought of that if they've thought of it at all because they they uh, almost surely know they're going to be killed and almost always are. Well, you mentioned something in your article, and I, I recommend people, you know, subscribing and reading the article because we won't be able to cover everything in the podcast. But I wanted, I thought it was an interesting point you talked about um, what if the shooters or the shooter had a girlfriend mm. you weren't, you weren't mocking them, but yeah. that's a, you know, sometimes we think of purpose and meaning as an individualized, Oh, this is my thing. But then you brought in someone, but what if they were in a romantic relationship? What, what, what do you, what do you say? Yeah. And that idea is not original to mine. And I, I do, I do think there's this, all of these people have some, uh, appear to be alone in any sort of like they don't have a girlfriend they don't have a a girlfriend uh typically um implies connection thoughts about the future you're connected to the people your girlfriends are connected to perhaps their family or whatever there is a there's something now bigger than you uh there's, you know, thoughts of perhaps having future and a children, children and all of those sorts of things. And that's sort of, yeah, you can say they don't have a girlfriend and one could say, well, just you're, what you're saying is there's, they're losers and they're doing this because they're losers. That's not really what I'm saying. I'm saying they think of themselves that way, that this is not something that's going to happen for me or whatever. And so I don't have that to live for. I don't have this connection. I'm not going to let anybody down. Uh, I'm not going to fail to fulfill any responsibility to other people uh, because I don't have any of those people in my life. Uh, They come to a place where they feel, you know, they have no connection or obligation or affections for other actual people in their life. And like we said, they often kill a family member before they go kill a bunch of other people. And one, one wonders, I mean, I've, I believe that if they had stronger family connections or even a positive friend group or a girlfriend, mm-hmm. 
they would have a whole different, it's not just like if you have a girlfriend, you're not going to commit a mass shooting, but it's if you have a, uh, all these social connections, romantic connections, you just have a whole different view of life, well, it, it, right? It, thoughts of the future. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you have you know, a few thoughts I had on that. You have, A, you have someone to bounce your ideas off of and to check your ideas and to check your anger or your frustrations or your bitterness with the world. You have someone else to process typically and, and, and family connections can, can do that. But often it's, it's when you're growing through adolescence and past that, it's going to be a peer. It's going to be a friend. It's going to be a girlfriend, some you know intimate partner that you're talking about your grievances and someone's listening to you and maybe they're empathizing with you. But so you have that, but then you also have someone to care for, like you're responsible for someone and you wouldn't really articulate it, but you have this obligation to, um, tend to them and nurture them and be available to them. And so, and, and, and it also builds a sense of confidence. You have a sense of confidence in who you are and what you can accomplish, especially for a young male. Uh, there's a, definitely a sense of adequacy. Uh, if I can, you know, have someone uh, of the opposite sex be attracted to me and find me lovable and um, worthy to be in a relationship with. So I think there's a lot to be said about that. Um, yeah, I think yeah, that's I'll, right. I'll, I'll, I, go ahead. Go ahead. I want to say something about isolation, but let me know when you. Okay. Yeah. So let me, I, I, I want to get to isolation as well, but I do think that um, there's a sense in which I think I'm obviously there's a lot of anger and hatred in, in people committing these acts. And one, I didn't read a lot of these manifestos or any of them, really. I just heard descriptions of them. And so being angry at the world, because I don't, it's not just, I don't have a girlfriend. I don't have all the positive aspects of connection and so on, but I'm angry at the world because I don't have a girlfriend and I'm angry at, you know, I'm angry at the world because I don't have these connections or because I have a bad family or whatever. So it's almost the, it's almost not just the absence of these positives in some, in these people's cases, it's just, you know, we're not, we're not going from someone who's depressed because they're alone. We're going for somebody who's also has that plus they're, they're being pulled into a very dark place and justifying their rage because whatever the world's against me. Cause I do think there is a, the not having social connections has a lot of negative impacts, not just these shooters add some other mysterious, you know, element of rage or anger or hatred that propels them to do this uh, as well. So, um, yeah, so that's, I do think that, and, uh, it, it does, uh, you know, tie into the bigger point of isolation, which I think you were going to say something about. Yeah. Well, I, it's just this conversation that um, a friend of ours was having the other day and the person was, was talking out loud about their ideas. And I thought, oh, those are interesting ideas. Like, how did you come to these conclusions? And they were pretty set on, these are my conclusions. This is how the world really is. Mm -hmm. And it had to do with, uh, it, it was a little concerning uh, because I don't think this person is in uh, jeopardy of committing any crimes mm -hmm. or, mm -hmm. but the isolation piece really struck me. And it was, you know, I, we don't attend this church and we don't attend that church and we don't attend this church because we can't find any that agree with us. 
right. you know, kind of quote verbatim. And, and then our kids really like this place over here, but I just see a bunch of red flags. Mm-hmm. And then the assumption was, don't you agree with this? Don't you agree with this? Don't you agree with this? And it was like, no, not necessarily. But for me, it was such an, a kind of an alarming conversation. Like, how have you, has anyone pushed back on any of your conversation? Are any of these ideas in your head or, or, you know, do you typically get an echo chamber around you or whatever? And, you know, this is just it. And no one agrees with me. Therefore, kind of kind of the conclusion was, therefore, I'm alone in the world. It's yeah. just me and my ideas. I'm alone in the world. And yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. I, def- I definitely think when you're closed off to other people's ideas, there's a danger of, in a sense, isolating yourself in that way. I think what can, probably that's always been true. Uh, you know, partly what social media can do for you is uh, you're getting these ideas from somewhere often. And so there is some sort of community online of like-minded people who aren't really a community, who can't do what community actually does for you. It, but it can reinforce all of your, uh, you know, all of your ideas, perhaps, or theories. Uh, and I do think there's a sense now of, of that where like I've, I'm setting my tribe and then I'm testing everyone else and okay, you can't get in my tribe. I'm not going to allow you in my tribe because you don't pass all the tests, which is the opposite of what community should be. Right. It, right. It should be, Oh, um, why do you think that? Oh, and then perhaps there's something in their thinking that, Oh, I, I really need to think about that. There's something there that might help me live positively in the world. And, uh, you know, the part of the whole idea of the embassy is to sort of foster this sort of thinking and discussion and perhaps what's really going on, you know, under the surface. Um, you started by saying something that often that I spent some time in the piece on as well, that that these things challenges challenge our notion of good and evil. Mm. And I do think that's true uh, because obviously these are large out loud, evil, huge impact act. You know, we're, there, the evil happens around us all the time, but this is some impossible to ignore evil. And so yep. in what ways do you think it challenges our, our notions of good and evil? And what should we be thinking about uh, in, the, in that sense? Uh, well, I think, uh, I don't know if the, 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 um, kind of the post-enlightenment, typically atheistic, uh, more, you know, idea. I don't know if this idea is dead yet, but the idea that human condition is basically good and we can get better. And essentially it's good and you need more education or the right environment and all these things. And there's no such thing as ultimate good or ultimate evil. And when you see something like this, uh, you know, there could be, you know, several categories of evil to talk about. But when you see something like this, it typically goes into the category of moral evil. Mm-hmm. And m- most don't disagree with that when it happens. This is a moral evil. Innocent people were killed. Uh, by through violence by a person's hand that's a bad thing this is evil some something's not right 
And so I think often, you know, you, you get these philosophies or like you said, these social media ideologies here, but it's just in this ivory tower. It's just this idea. It's just an idea like, oh, no, I don't actually I don't believe in good and evil. And I think people are basically this and this, that, and the other. And then, and then life is over here happening where, you know, your, your marriage is falling apart. Your kids hooked on drugs and there's mass shootings and just the inability to reconcile. Well, these are my ideas, but this is my everyday life. And I think that that's a hard thing because when life continues to poke on your ideas and challenge them, uh, and specifically, it predominantly does that through morality, through mm-hmm. good, through evil, through beauty, mm-hmm. uh, through through tragedy, mm-hmm. through violence. It's 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 showing up. I, I mean, think of the the. We don't have to go into this, but the the Russia Ukraine crisis, mm-hmm. right? Everybody was you know out of their mind. But like when this was started and it's going on, but in one sense, it can be so far removed from us. Because it's 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 on a screen that we're reading about or we're hearing from, and we're hearing all these different slants. And but then you have something in our own backyard, and it's going to challenge not only uh, good and evil, our notions of that, but also our our sense of safety. Yeah, yeah. And we think we I think we can tr- we think we can try to be safe from evil. Yeah, I think that's right. I do I do think we the you know postmodern sort of impulse is. Uh, to say that, you know, there is no evil, ultimate evil. Um, we have trouble with that when we're confronted with something that almost everyone agrees is evil. You know, the more modernist is, uh, you know, we, we do, we can just continue to improve. And as long as, you know, we educate people and that the, you know, the, the environmental evil will be pushed back and, you know, our natural goodness will go. And then, you know, we're confronted with things that seem to uh, question, you know, those sorts of things that, oh, there is sort of evil in the world. And, you know, we as a society know way more than we did 100 years ago. And it's not like there's less of these happening. Uh, And then I do think the next move we can often make is, okay, so there's evil, this is happening, but I want to believe it can't happen to me you know, I want to be, I want to believe I'm safe from such things because the reality is some of these people just went to the store or just some of these kids just went to school one day. Parents just sent their kids to school and it isn't actually, you know, safe. Um, And so what we want to say is we just need to find all of these evil people and then put them somewhere or do something with them, you know, give them a magic elixir to make them not evil anymore. And, you know, the problem with that thinking is that all of the places where we really, uh, all of the Abrahamic religions, Christianity, certainly that, you know, really try to account for evil, um, make it pretty clear that all of us, you know, the as Solzhenitsyn's famous quote, the line uh, between good and evil runs down the center of, of every human heart. And there's always part of us that is uh, evil. We can't just get all the evil people in some place and then we'll be done with the evil people. That's just not how evil works, that it's part of it's in all of us. And interestingly, Solzhenitsyn, you know, he was a prisoner in the Soviet gulag. So he was saying this about people who were being very evil to him. 
on a on the daily. Uh, mm-hmm. And so he was a real. It was not a philosophical. It was something he was dealing with. That 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 not just that that these guards weren't simply evil people, uh, but that that he had evil in his heart as well. And but also that these guards had some good and were therefore capable of redemption, which is also part of you know the uh, Christian view of the world as well. And so it's just very complicated that, uh, yes, most of us aren't going to commit this evil act, but we all have the ability to commit evil and evil is just not easily dealt with in the sense of let's find, let's do some genetic test and find the evil people and put them somewhere. And I, you know, well, I there's, and there's, there's great movies that have been made up dealing with this issue and talking about this question. Equilibrium is one of them where you, mm-hmm. everybody's on a pill and it, it flattens flattens uh, all of anything that could cause violence and and they take away art and music because art can you know cause you to be you know emotionally aroused and then you can do something you know violent with that and and then you have the village where mm-hmm. where's good and evil let's protect ourselves like not just get rid of the evil people we'll just isolate from the evil people we'll make right. it right. this ut- utopian society and it just the the stories are just so well done that there's it doesn't work doesn't, it work. doesn't that's yeah. that's not the answer Right. So uh, let me ask you this. What I, do you think that some people, cause some people look at this and interesting, kind of an interesting pivot is that they see it and they're like, Oh, well, yeah, this is a great evil. And therefore they jump to, this is a great evil that happened. Um, how could this exist in the world? And people talk about a good God existing in the world. I can't believe in a good God. If stuff like this happens. Mm-hmm. And people yeah. look at these things and they say, well, I, I mean, this, this does, there's no way I can really have faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, in the two minutes we have left in the podcast, I will explain <laughs> the problem of evil and God. Uh, but I, I don't, I think if you really think carefully about that, the only basis that we have to call this evil is that there is some standard of good that exists that we're all hold towards and accountable to that without a God that gives us a standard of goodness, it's just the strong eat the weak, the, you know, the, the bad things happen to defenseless people. And can we even call it evil or, or it's just stuff we don't like? Uh, you know, the reason we can condemn things as evil is because there is a standard of good. Uh, there is a mystery there uh, on why particular evil things happen, why God, why God allows. And of course there's a very complicated uh, set of discussions and theologies about, you know, how much choice God allows us and God does, it. God allows me to commit evil acts and they might be very small, you know, gossip or whatever, self-deception and, and so on. And part of that is my humanity, my broken and fallen humanity that is in the process of being redeemed. Uh, and perhaps it's just not possible for God to create uh, broken and unredeemed people in such a way that they're free, free to choose him, free to love, free to create art, and that also are incapable of committing evil. I don't know. Um, all of that is not explained, perhaps not completely explainable to us. Um, but I just think the whole idea that we get rid of the problem by get rid of, getting rid of God, in, in my view, doesn't work. I just think it makes the problem worse. With God, there is perhaps some hope of redemption and cure and there is a standard of 
this is good and that that can be condemned as evil without them man it's just stuff we don't like happening and i don't i there's no i think we lean on the uh, even even people who don't believe in god lean on the concept of we all know what is good but without some standard of good we don't all know what is good and then it's just i mean this is what this guy wanted to do who's to say it's bad and we say it's bad because we have a standard of good and a standard of 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 evil and I, I mean, I would say as a Christian, God is that standard and we fall short of it. Um, I think that's not completely adequate. Obviously, that's not completely whatever. But I think in my broken fallenness, that's I can't take it a whole lot farther. And I I would challenge people who say, I, can't, I don't want to believe in a God that lets this happen. How is it better without a God? that is able to address the issues or redeem the problem of evil. In fact, it just seems more tragic and more meaningless. Everything seems more meaningless, uh, in fact, in my view. Uh, so I, that's part of, I mean, that's a, that's a small and inadequate answer in a couple of minutes, but I just would say, I just, I understand the impulse that we're disappointed. We like to think that a good and powerful God wouldn't let this happen. But if we, if we, uh, in our confusion about that, want to take God out of the equation, I just, I think it makes everything worse, not better, uh, less hope, hopeful and more meaningless and, you know, more nihilistic. Um, and so I don't know, I don't know what are your thoughts on that? No, I think that's a great answer. I, I, I think the burden of proof would be on, well, how does that help? How would that help? Because now we, you would say there's some type of evil out there, maybe even some type of evil bigger than a moral evil. Like, you know, maybe there's some something else, this other evil bigger than yeah. just the yeah, human the heart. Demo- the demonic. Yeah. Right. There's a, co- yeah. a cosmic evil. But now if there's no God to go to battle and, you know, some have some have viewed the answer to the question of what we're talking about is theodicy is mm-hmm. how does a good God allow evil in the world some theologians have said well the the answer is that the whole bible is god is doing something about evil he is battling and he is inviting us to battle but not like we talked about we're not battling you know by eradicating evil people Mm -hmm. right but it's in the small daily choices of love and kindness and forgiveness and refusing to grow bitter and god is doing something about evil and the whole answer is the is the death of Jesus on the cross and the resurrection, it's all moving somewhere. So I think, you know, there's has to be at least some grappling of, well, maybe God is up to, up to fighting and he's up to fighting against evil and wanting us to join the cause. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That we can be part of the answer to that, to that question. Um, So I bet that's well said. I think like we should probably leave it there. Uh, and uh, so much more to be said about this whole issue, obviously. Uh, I encourage you to read the piece. Uh, you can subscribe to uh, uh, the embassy at theembassy.substack.com uh, and subscribe to On Culture uh, wherever you find uh, podcasts. And uh, if you're interested in resources for churches, nonprofits, profits, check out embassyequipping.com. And I'd love to be able to help you uh, in that way as well. 
thanks, Chad. Uh, we'll be we'll talking to you uh, the next uh, week or so in the next On Culture. Talk to you then. You've been listening to On Culture, a podcast of the Embassy Newsletter. Have a question? Send it to theembassy at substack.com. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts.